This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great uh, chance to be together again. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you, as always, uh, for... um, Listening to the program and also going over to the Pro America, going over to ProAmericaReport.com and listening to segments there, the podcast there, and also uh, uh, the um, daily email, the wink. You can sign up there. Get lots of feedback from people through that website. So thank you for that and appreciate it very much. Okay, well, today we've got some uh, great things to talk about. We've got a couple of great guests. I also actually have to tell you, I pre recorded an interview I'm going to use for Father's Day coming up. Uh, it's a great one about a book, uh, and it's not Larry Elder. Larry Elder's book about him and his father. That's a great book, too. I'll talk about that next week, uh, but it's a great interview. So we will talk uh, today with Lord Conrad Black, Lord Conrad Black, about um, exactly what he is seeing, and uh, he's writing about friends of his that have become such vociferous never-Trumpers that he can't believe it, and so it'll be really interesting, and also we'll catch up with Dr. Decker. Okay, first, though, I need to tell you, we need to talk about this TikTok is not just an app. And TikTok is not just an app. So let me explain what happened. Uh, Joe Biden has reversed the executive orders of Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump's executive orders were effectively trying to ban TikTok because TikTok is owned by the communist regime in China. Now, th- that was challenged in court. TikTok went into court. But uh, basically what the uh, uh, Trump administration was saying is we cannot trust the Chinese regime as they gather data on all our American people. It doesn't make any sense to do that and so they did these executive orders they didn't they couldn't get a law passed the congress wouldn't pass it so trump did this by executive order probably imperfect because it probably wasn't sweeping enough there probably should be a rule that any chinese regime owned app shouldn't be allowed but this one tiktok has been sort of uh utilized scooped up by literally millions and millions of americans so now, remember, I pause to tell you, the Chinese regime, the communist regime and the communists in China have for decades and decades had a plan that to track every single person in China, 1.2 billion people. When you're born, you get a file opened up. And in the old days, it was a manila piece of paper file. Now, I suspect, although I don't know, that it's an electronic file. But the idea is that you, the communist regime wants to track every person. You don't have freedom if somebody can track everything you're doing. Well, or at least your freedom is likely to be limited by a regime that has that ability. And we have to think, as a matter of sort of instinct and uh, experience, that the communist regime in China is likewise opening files up on Americans. Now, we do it on Chinese nationals and others, right? We, As a matter of intelligence gathering. The question is whether China in this case, is literally able to gather data on millions and millions of Americans, tens of millions of Americans? And the answer is yes. And more importantly, with an app, it's different than, say, a sign-up for a, a software program. Let's say, let's say you signed up for uh, you know, some Adobe, a version of Adobe, uh, you know, or some kind of thing, and you're like, oh, well, this one's better, and it's a Chinese app, and the communist regime owns that. Well, it's not the scale of the, the data collection that you get from TikTok, which has millions and mil- tens of millions of users. But the other problem with this is that TikTok can be used to, 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 to steer the, uh, the public's understanding and perception. Because just like uh, Facebook and Twitter and others, if you control the algorithms and can silence some things and push other things, and wouldn't the communist regime, as a matter of course, 
want to steer things in a way that's better for them and worse for us? Just pick it. Just pick on a. Just pick in a totally sort of, or maybe say, relatively benign way, like this. The Chinese regime wants to have more uh, videos surface that say nice things about Chinese culture. Well, that's not exactly uh, you know um, malignant. But what if they want to make it so that the um, the TikTok app surfaces its algorithm surface you know things about racial strife and make Americans think more and more of their racial strife? Because that's what you do if you watch TV. That's what CNN is doing and uh, Joe Biden are doing. So. That's what Trump was worried about with TikTok. That's why he did those rules, and that's executive orders, and that's why they went immediately. The Chinese TikTok uh, went into court and was suing over it. Well, the Biden administration has reversed that, and the lawsuit will now be null and void and tossed out. And they've said something innocuous, like, um, you know, we want to get to the bottom of the uh, a set of procedures for all apps regarding data gathering. Give me a break. I'm not talking about data. Data gathering is bad for everybody. I'm talking about the influence the Chinese regime has over America. If we allow them to keep doing this, it's insane. And it's not a small deal. I know I talked about this on my live stream. I've talked about this issue uh, with uh, I'll talk with Dr. Decker about this. You know, the fact is, this is a bigger deal. The Chinese regime is not a rival. If you don't want to call them an enemy, you have to call them an adversary at the least. Because they're not a friend. They're not an ally. They're, they're, they're an adversary. They're adverse to us in dramatic ways. Fentanyl, trade secrets stealing, intellectual property theft. Uh, you pick the leg on and on and on. And fundamentally, they're communist. That's the difference maker. You know, the difference maker is a communist regime has as its goal, its stated goal is domination of the world. And we are the, the lone superpower counterweight to the rising Chinese power. So they're clearly coming for us. It's not even close. It's just not even close. It's not even a close call. It's not something that's not obvious to everyone else. So once again, the Biden administration is changing their changing the uh, American posture towards China to the detriment of America. There's no doubting that. I mean, I don't know anybody that would argue. I mean, I guess I guess if you're a Biden defender, what you say is, well, we're going to put in new rules or we're going to do a new rule. Well, then do a new rule before you rescind this one. Do a new rule overlapping this one so that TikTok doesn't get to get out of court, that they stay in court and change the pleadings so that they have to fight over the new rule. If you think there's a way you can do a new rule that's, I don't know, either broader or, or more effective, I don't know. But I, I, as much as I care about Facebook gathering my information, at least Facebook, and I maybe maybe like I was about to say, at least Facebook's an American company. But maybe the truth is, if Facebook shares my data with uh, the Chinese, and they might, well, how do I know, right? So I don't know. But again, the data part to me is big. But the persuasion, the part where China can use the TikTok to influence TikTok to influence us by what they let us see and what they let us know. And it's millions and millions of users. It's crazy. It's crazy. It shouldn't be allowed. We should change the uh, rules immediately. And uh, the Biden administration let us down yet again, yet again. And we won't even know. Uh, well, I mean, you know, as I've said before, oh, I had a great conversation uh, with a friend of mine, Ron Maxwell. And Ron said this. I was saying the narrative machine, big tech, big media and big government. And I, so in this case, big tech, TikTok's part of big tech, it's owned by the Chinese regime. And Ron's point was also big, big academia, big academia undergirds it all. It's pretty good. So the narrative machine, if, if TikTok can be in the narrative, in the direction of the narrative machine, anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-conservative, anti-we the people, anti-constitution, they'll find allies in the big media, not all of them, but many of them. 
some most of them they'll find allies in um, in big academia so it's a problem it's a big problem it's a mistake that the biden administration made i'm disappointed that they did it i'm not at all surprised that they did it uh but here we are that's where we are in this one so bad news on tiktok it's not a small thing it's not just a funny app where people dance and and act like idiots which is you know there's a lot of them vine was like that other things it's a, and it's also a symbol it's a it's a, a it's a it's an indication of what our government and what we the people see. And last point on this is most people won't care. In fact, many many people that use TikTok will say, "Oh, good, thank goodness." You know, Trump was of the old fashioned. He's silly. Biden's coming into the new age. We should do it. It's because they don't know. We expect our leaders to be better than this. We expect expect our leaders to see down the field of of, of what's going on. It's a failure. All right, we got to take a break, everybody. We'll be back, and we got a lot on the show. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com. It's Ed Martin on the ProAmerica Report. Be back in just a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to catch up with our old friend, Dr. Brett Decker. Dr. Decker is a New York Times bestselling author, author of a number of books, and also has been a journalist in the Far East, uh, Wall Street Journal Asia. And then uh, in the swamp, he was both the editorial page editor for the Washington Times and did works in a senior position in the uh, Bush, W.W. Uh, w. Bush administration. Currently, he's a professor at Defiance College in Ohio. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Decker. How are you? No, good, you know, sun shining, got my grass mowed go. today, things are looking good. <laughs> the little things. Now, Dr. Decker, one of your books, which is in front of me, is called Bowing to Beijing, about the Obama administration and their uh, willingness to sort of quote unquote work with Beijing and they're they're uh they're kind of um rolling over on a bunch of issues. Uh Biden administration now and the one I've been seized, I've been talking about it for a couple of days, is that the Biden uh Joe Biden decides to back off on the banning of TikTok, uh which, you know, perhaps I'm overplaying the importance of it, but if you're if you know the Chinese regime, the communist regime, you know that they gather data on their own citizens, one point two billion, you know, you have from the time you're born until you're dead, even and after you have a, a file on you so they can track what's going on. They certainly do that for the world. And we're giving them tons and tons of data. You know, they're sending us fentanyl uh, and other things. And so but the Biden administration, to me, the, the symbol of Joe Biden just can't stand a Trump uh, uh, rule, a Trump uh, executive order that says to try to tighten up on on uh, on TikTok. Am I overdoing the TikTok thing? Is it what, what's your what's your sense of the Biden administration? Is, is Joe Biden doing basically what Obama did? And what is that? Yeah, I don't think you're overdoing it. I, I, I think I think it's almost impossible ever to overdo any criticism or suspicion in regards to what Beijing is up to. So, um, I, you know, I think that kind of alarm can can be spread across many different other issues and needs to be. Um, China is, you know, China is our number one enemy, and we can pretend that's not the case, but there's no doubt that that. Uh, the Communist Party in China looks at it that way, right? So uh, TikTok, any of these things, China has a full-court press and every possible avenue to spy on on American citizens, right? Their their technology is reverse-engineered to send information back to their country when it's in, in American products. Um, 
they send, right? The most foreign students in our country are from China, right? And that is a right. big group of, of potential spies, right? And it doesn't mean these kids are bad kids. Sometimes they love America, want to stay here, want to become American. But they go home on their break, and China, the government calls them in, and they, says, look, they say, look, you have an internship at Microsoft or General Motors or, or whatever. Send us absolutely everything you get at work. And they'll be like, no, I can't do that. I could go to jail. I could get fired. And they say, well, that's fine, but your parents and grandparents are still in China, and you better think about what the consequences are for them, right? They play hardball with all of their own people here. So China, China is just they're, – they're looking at any way they can maximize their power or their advantage over us. And one of the biggest stories right now, everybody, oh, UFOs, close encounter of a third kind, you know, are aliens coming – it, it's most clearly to me that this is going to end up being, you know, they talk about all this alien stuff. And if you read the report that came out uh, last week, there's a few lines in there of uh, it could be, you know, it could be next generation or two generations for technology being developed by China or Russia. One CIA expert said that really that should be the headline, right? Not that like Star Wars or Star Trek is coming true or whatever. It's, China might be several generations of technology ahead of us, and they're messing around with different things that, right? They're, they're basically trolling the U.S. Navy all over the Pacific. And that most yeah. of these things happen in the Pacific and not, and not in the Atlantic. Why doesn't anyone point that out, right? These are all Pacific Ocean problems, which is a big zone of influence, obviously, for China. So I think it's very clearly that's what's going on, and we should be worried about it. We're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker and Dr. Decker among his books. A New York, he's a New York Times bestselling author, but the book is Bowing to Beijing about the uh, Obama administration, which would obviously have a big impact. Many, many, many of the same people who were in office in power at the time or in, back in power. Uh, there is a story, Dr. Decker, and this is cuts right to the to the heart of your current position as a professor at Defiance College. Story a week or two ago at Politico.com. Colleges beg Biden to save international student enrollment. To, to your point, we have tens of thousands, and I think it's really hundreds hundreds of thousands of students who come to America, 1.1 million students uh, from abroad attend colleges in the U.S., did so in 2019-2020. It went way down because of the uh, almost 50% plunge because of the uh, COVID. But those people pay cash, right? This is the trick. Or they, they pay close to cash, or most, most of them pay cash. I, mean, I remember in Missouri... I think it was, uh, uh, it, what is Warrensburg, uh, the university, one of the Missouri universities had, had hundreds of, uh, of students who came from, I think it was, um, uh, I think it was, uh, Qatar or one of the, one of the, uh, uh Middle Eastern nations. Uh, they had a pipeline and they were paying cash and they were all coming in. They were kids of the, of the wealthy. Chinese do that by, by the, as you point out, by the tens of thousands. And yet we don't think anything of it. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida just signed a law that says that, uh, no Florida university shall take money from the communist regime. These are the so-called Confucius institutes. Of course, I never find that very convincing because it's not so much the front end where somebody says, hey, here's money I'm sending you from the communist regime. No, they send it from a business that does lots of work there that has, you know, owners and partners all over the world. But I guess my question here is, uh, Dr. Decker, why? I mean, aren't we really on a kind of war footing with China now? It's it, it's a cold war with China. There's no cold war anymore with Russia. They just don't they don't have the horsepower. But China has everything they do is antagonistic and we're not willing to kind of name the the problem 
No, no, you're exactly right. And you know, Russia, if Russia didn't have a bunch of nukes, we'd be worried about them as much as we worry about Bulgaria, right? It's not they're not important <laughs> other than they still have they have a lot right. of nuclear weapons. Right. China is uh, the, the latest report is that um, within ten or fifteen years, China might not only have more advanced weaponry than us as far as numbers of uh, ships and tanks and that kind of thing, but they might be more advanced, right? We're we're spending military money on on transition surgery for soldiers, and they're spending it on next generation uh, weaponry, right? So very very serious, and and all of these all of these students that are coming here, right? They're all all just potential fonts of information back to China on how we operate and where they can um, seek more advantage for us and. You mentioned Confucius Institutes. I, I, I wrote about that quite a bit in Bowing to Beijing. These are these institutes where, you know, not only do foreign students pay full freight, sometimes universities have like extra fees. So they actually pay more right. than full freight, right? These Confucius <clears throat> Institutes are another way that Beijing channels lots of money to universities is they, they have uh, foundations at colleges and universities where they'll put millions of dollars in. But with it comes certain commitments that universities have to make on on having certain right. events and things. So they might have conferences on China, and it's a way to just get the camel. I'm mixing metaphors, but getting the camel's nose under the tent, so to speak, where you right. just have pro-China propaganda on campus. You know, so. Um, you know, our kids are getting Dr. Decker we're to, in college yeah, already. Yeah, we're talking about one more to, area. Yeah, we're to, Right, we're talking with uh, Brett Decker, uh, Dr. Decker. Um, what I wish I I'll probably I think I have Dr. Paul Kengor coming on next week from Grove City College, who's really spent his life writing on this. But isn't it similar to what the Soviet communists did? I mean, their infiltration wasn't necessarily in the academia in the same way it was in the State Department, and it was maybe under maybe under the Soviet um, era they weren't sending in Soviet agents. Um, they were they were flipping people that were sympathetic to the position, and then so you got people that were American liberals who wanted to be communists became agents and, and, and you know, the Alger Hiss situation and others. But uh, in this case, there's a whole bunch of people. If you stopped and paused for 40 years, the Chinese have been sending people to our country to become American and to stay. And every now and then you get a little bit of one. Someone says, oh, the Chinese, uh, you know, researcher at such and such university, maybe MIT got indicted or something. But, um, you know, same, same thing, by the way, with, uh, so-called, uh, birth tourism, where people come from China to South, Southern California, have a baby here. The baby's a citizen. The baby gets sent home back to China and is raised there. I mean, we are being infiltrated. Isn't there some way to draw the, the, the connection to the Soviet era? In other words, the communist part of this is, is not new the it's chinese or soviet but it's the communist part is is pretty clear they're undertaking the, yes the soviet thing fell apart in part because of their economy uh but and that might happen to china but it, it's the same mo isn't it uh it is you know one one person who's written brilliantly some great books on this is stephen Mosier. um hmm. uh, mm-hmm. uh, he, he's great on china um uh but you know, if anything, outside of nukes, which I don't mean to downplay, because that was a real threat for decades from the Soviet Union. Outside of nukes, China is a bigger threat. And there are a couple of reasons, and a lot of them are our own fault. Is one, our country was mobilized and serious, even the left, to certain degrees, 
half of the Demo- parts of the Democratic Party were worried about Russia, right, in the old days. Right. Now, now, right, not only are people on both parties, a lot of weaknesses on both parties as far as China, but mostly because of the Chamber of Commerce, but we're actively building up and funding our enemies, right? China's money comes from us buying cheap junk at Walmart. So as they build up their Navy, build up their n- nuclear arsenal, build up all their other uh, uh, old tech and new tech uh, instruments of war. It's paid for by American consumers, right? Or even that, like mm-hmm. bio warfare, Wuhan, Wuhan lab, Wuhan lab, or whatever, right? I mean, CDC is giving China money for research, and they could be developing like right a uh, bio warfare thing at that stuff with our cash. So, the Soviet Union, we were never explicitly directing, at least not in the later years, explicitly directing and funding. Uh, their buildup, which we are in China, which I think, right, I mean, America believed himself uh, in the Cold War, especially under Reagan and, 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 and some other uh, heroes. But now our country isn't really sure if we believe in itself and we don't know if we're, you know, we don't believe we're morally superior anymore. It's just beat up America all the time. And I think that makes China a lot more dangerous. And it's not like they're not licking their chops and laughing as we as we kind of destroy ourselves from within, right? They're ascendant, mm-hmm. and it'd be hard to characterize the United States as anything but, you know, um, not ascendant at this point. Yeah. All right, Dr. Decker, as always, thank you for your insight. We've got to run. We will take a break, everybody. We come back. Don't forget, you can listen to this interview and other ones. We post them all over at ProAmericaReport.com. You can probably just go through and educate yourself by listening to Dr. Decker over the last uh, two or three years. He's uh, he's generally a couple times a month, and he would in- inform you. Yeah, then you wouldn't have to read all his books, because some of them, the one there's one on the, the Filipino Speaker of the House, it's guaranteed. It's like if, if Phyllis Schlafly had a book on Kissinger, and uh, Dr. Decker has a book on the Philippines. Both are guaranteed to help you sleep so uh we'll take a break everybody and be right back ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report it's been a few weeks a little while since we talked to lord conrad black uh, lord black conrad black is well-known businessman he's also a historian he's written books i looked this up he's uh big biographies on fdr as well as nixon and the book that I most recently was looking at is A President Like No Other about Donald Trump. And uh, Lord Black, welcome back. We, uh, you, we read you a lot on American Greatness, amgreatness.com. That's a piece I saw recently. So um, let me thank you for coming on and then ask you, very uh, the opening of this uh, piece, which is from a few days ago, uh, guilt for, actually it's about 10 days ago, guilt for January 6th belongs with those most eager to condemn it. And I'll put it up on social media. First sentence is, it's with again with great regret I take issue with my friend of more than forty years, George Will. Walk us through what you're doing here and what you're seeing among some uh, of the more famous American writers. Well, thank you for inviting me back. It always a pleasure to be with you. Um, George Will is a man I know well, and and I've uh, we're good friends, and uh, we've uh, you know been to each other's homes and. And I have great admiration for him, but he is one of the many intelligent Americans and 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 foreigners too, who, who on the subject of Donald Trump uh, simply loses his mind, and a cuckoo bird flies out of his head, and he starts saying nonsensical things. And what set me off in this was watching him on television saying that uh, the events at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th of this year were something that should be, as he put it, seared into the minds of Americans as much as 9-11 was. 
the uh, as you know the suicide hijackings of the airliners and crashing them into uh, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, and um, uh, and 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 the, he then went on to say that they were comparable assaults upon American democracy. Well, this is just completely nonsensical. It's just, it, it is simply nonsense. They, uh, as your listeners, I'm sure virtually all of them would be perfectly aware of the distinction between these episodes. Uh, in one case, you have foreigners, conspirators, operating an international terrorist network, seizing civil airliners, smashing them into these buildings and killing 3,000 people in what even the chief ultimate architect of that atrocity uh, Osama bin Laden described as a massacre of the innocents. Uh, in the other case, uh, the, uh, in the face of extensive evidence that even a wall-to-wall media attempt to suppress it has not succeeded in suppressing, that there were real doubts about the accuracy of vote counting in certain key states in the late presidential election. In the face of that, the president addressed hundreds of thousands of his followers and and, and detailed why uh, he questioned and disputed the election result. He didn't just engage in demagogy, specifically cited various reasons that have never been addressed, judicially or otherwise, and then said, I know you're going on, and he urged them to demonstrate peacefully and patriotically. That was what he said. Uh, because the head of the Capitol Police had asked for and not received reinforcements either from the Speaker of the House or the Mayor of Washington, D.C., uh, they were underprepared for what happened. There were a, a small number of, a small compared to the huge crowd the president spoke to, number of hooligans who, who trespassed in the Capitol and did minor uh, damage of vandalism, very little damage, fortunately, but it was still an outrageous incident. Uh, but uh, uh, but that's a number of people died of natural causes, undoubtedly aggravated by those conditions. The only person who died violently and not of natural causes was a Trump supporter, and we've never seen any uh, indication of who actually shot this woman uh, dead, and and that was it. That, uh, that They were cleared out, and that was the end of it, other than the attempt to hang it around Trump's neck as an attempt to overthrow the government in an insurrection, which was the most stupid and fatuous legislative initiative in the entire <laughs> history of the United States of America, but uh, culminating the, in the unsuccessful attempt to remove him from an office from which he had already retired at the end of his term. It was so absurd. Right, but, uh, right. But, uh, but the, the idea of equating these two events, I mean, one was an outrage, but the other was a massacre of 3,000 people. Uh, it, is, it's, it's just, it is unimaginable to me that a man of George Will's intelligence would say such things. We're, yeah, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black again, and uh, and and so let me ask you because you know you and George Will are two famous people, so it's kind of interesting. But almost every American, everybody I talk to, uh, has someone in their life that they that either stepped away from them because they support. You know, if you supported Trump, they they, they said, oh, you know, you, what's wrong with you? And you broke. And a lot of times it was in families. And so you mentioned you know in forty years. I mean, is it is it a ruptured friendship now, or is it something you don't talk about, or is it? I, I guess. How did you handle it? Because lots of Americans are, are, or lots of listeners are handling someone in their life who is still mad at them or still thinks you were part, we, you know, we were part of an insurrection. How, how have you handled this? 
Well, in the case with George, I just don't have any contact with him. But as far as I'm concerned, our relations are excellent. Uh, you know, we, you know, I have differences of view with all my friends. So many people do, but you, I mean, mature relationships survive that. Uh, I will say that um, I, I have no reason to doubt that's his view, but I don't know. He may be more upset about this than I am, but I hope not. And in any case, uh, I, I hope our good relations will resume sometime. But, um, but we. Yeah. We, we may have to await the end of the Trump era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're talking with Lord Conrad Black. Okay, back for one second. Uh, you also ran newspapers. You owned and ran newspapers. You've been a writer and a columnist. Um, regarding the January 6th events, ha- I, there's never been, I think you'll agree, a, a sort of uh, a media, a big tech, a, certain, a narrative forced on the world like what they try to do with this so-called insurrection. I mean, it just doesn't match up. And yet they continue to do it. And you sort of say to yourself, normal people like you and me say, that's not true. But a lot of people don't have the time or energy or whatever to figure out that it's not true. And it's kind of working. I mean, we've hit a sort of low or we're in a new reality regarding the power of big tech and big media. Does it scare you? Uh, I scare would be overstating it, but it certainly uh, is disquieting. Uh, I, 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 it concerns me. I, I, you know, it, it is a matter of some worry, I'd say, but not not fear. But the, uh, I, I think we're seeing that start to fall apart now. In the first phase of it, what was the expose uh, of the absolute fraudulence uh, of of the uh, claims that Trump was engaging in racist conspiracism? Saying that uh, the, the 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 virus came out of the laboratory in Wuhan and, and not out of a, a you know a, a food mm. market, and, right, and uh, right. that has now collapsed. And and the whole Trump hate uh, complex of, of, of false allegations is going to come down. Uh, you know the the uh, argument that. Um, uh, he had anything to do with generating the uh, directly to do with generating an intrusion at the Capitol that has collapsed. It collapsed early on when the director of the FBI said that there was nothing to support that view. Uh, the the uh, revelation the other day uh, that that uh, Trump uh, you know committed he was completely innocent of some of these electoral charges that had been made against him that came down around the necks of yeah. the people who made the charges. So I think we're gradually setting there. It'll take a while. Media takes a very long time to give any attention or publicity to things that might embarrass them, and, and social media are even worse. But uh, the fact is, uh, the, the the Trump hate argument w- will not be sustained anywhere. I mean, Trump has his failings, but he committed no illegalities. And and uh, and, and, and it's all that. All of that is actually, in my opinion, well served by a period in which he himself is relatively silent, because it was that contentious atmosphere that generated a lot of the hostility to him. And, and now that, that that has subsided and people can look at things in a, in a more sensible and less uh, uh, over-emotional way, uh, he will benefit from that. And, and, uh, and, and he, I think, he, I think the, the whole thing is turning. I mean, Mr. Lincoln had it right. You know, you can fool some of the people 
people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but not everyone all the time. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black. I like that. Uh, uh, one last line of questions. Uh, earlier this week uh, or this week, uh, Joe Biden has been in Europe on his first trip. I think um, the UK and then uh, Belgium, maybe, and then Switzerland. I think that's right. Um, and and, and I, I don't know that I, I, I don't have much to thought on what he's doing. I don't see it. But I want to ask you about Europe, where, where again, Lord Conrad Black, uh, Canadian by birth, a great um, uh, a publisher all over the world, Australia and UK. Um, Europe, it, it looks like, you know, France has got an election coming and the right is ascendant, uh, Le Pen or some combination, maybe. Boris Johnson, who's no normal conservative, is is uh, maybe as popular as he has ever been, at least looks a little solid because the opposition party's a mess. What's the state of Europe in terms of what felt like the Trump moment the trump movement uh four years ago and seemed to be sweeping europe uh did europe beat it back too is it is that still rising to a crest what's your thoughts uh, it, it varies i think the the countries that were formerly occupied or dominated by the soviet union are, are pretty solid especially poland and hungary and and the czech republic um and the little countries in the baltic sea there you know estonia latvia and lithuania they're all pretty solid um uh, Italy is always a bit unfeasible, but it doesn't change much. Uh, I, I, France, France has still has the mentality of a great power. Le Pen has modified her position a great deal from where her father was when he ran for president against Chirac about 25 years ago. Um, and and uh, I, I, I think I think the French are. You know they 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 have a problem because they admitted a million Muslims at the end of the Algerian War because they'd supported the French there and they had to let them come into France or they were in danger of their lives staying in Algeria, and and so they you know they they come up to I think they're around five percent of the population but uh, and they're they're a bit indigestible in certain well, places they're too ghettoized but uh, the French will deal with it, I think Boris is fine I you know I I'm a member of the British Parliament and I uh, Boris used to work for me. Indeed, he became famous when he was working for us as the correspondent in Brussels. But uh, I, I think he's a very fine prime minister. He's unorthodox, but he, he got them through Brexit. He, there were many mistakes, but he got them through the COVID thing. Britain is completely open, functions absolutely normally. And, uh, and, and Boris is a can-do person with an unusual personality that's very popular. And I think, yeah. I think he's fine. I wouldn't write Macron off. I think Macron is a highly intellectual man, and he he, he might yet prove to be a very capable president. Hmm. But if Le Pen wins, it's no victory of the racist right. I mean, she's running a moderate right of center campaign. Not yeah. All right. Con Lord Conrad Black, thank you as always. I got to run. Uh, we'll put up his piece, his most recent work over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com, and we will take a break and be right back. Uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with Joe Biden. He was spot on in 1983 when he called packing the Supreme Court a bonehead idea. For those not familiar with this particular bonehead idea, let me explain. The definition of court packing is expanding the number of justices on a court in order to get rulings more in line with a particular political persuasion. 
President Franklin Delano Roosevelt pitched the idea when the Supreme Court began striking down his New Deal programs, but his own party refused to go along with it. Now it looks like the same bonehead mistake is coming for President Joe Biden. Back on the campaign trail, he essentially said that he would let everyone know his position on court packing once they voted him into office. However, rather than coming clean as president, he's deferring to a commission of advisors who are supposed to tell him in a few months whether he should try to take up the bonehead idea. Unfortunately for Biden, some Democrats are not waiting for the commission before announcing their opposition. Several senators have publicly made it known that the bonehead idea has no hope in the Senate. The Democratic Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii was even bold enough to say that court packing is in the category of things that couldn't muster 50 votes and probably couldn't muster 40 votes. If Schatz is right, President Biden needs to tread carefully or else the ghost of FDR might come to haunt him. Another thing Biden would have to worry about is the strong grassroots opposition to the bonehead idea of court packing. A poll of 1,100 voters showed that 72% of independents and even 33% of Democrats would flatly refuse to go along with Biden's court-packing scheme. With numbers like this, the narrative machine, that's big tech, big media, and big government, would have to go into overdrive to convince the American people to make court-packing a reality. Regardless, conservatives should stay alert. Liberals have pulled off stunts like this before. However, Joe Biden needs to understand that his bonehead idea is still wrong for the American people. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, tomorrow we're going to talk with my old friend Ted Malik about his piece, which is all about how the Democratic Party's history is racist. They're the racist party. And he goes through chapter and verse. It's really good. I read the uh, I read his column. It's from about uh, a week ago. And we'll catch up with him tomorrow. Ted Malik, you look forward to that. Uh, but here's what I want to say. Virginia, and I might have told you this, but I want to hammer this home. Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, had its Democrat primary on Tuesday. And the results are in. And the top of the ticket is, of course, Governor, Lieutenant governor and attorney general so the three winners of the primary in um virginia um first of all let me say about a month ago there was a republican convention we the republicans pick virginia in virginia republican virginia republicans pick their governor a lieutenant governor and attorney general candidate by a convention and the picks there were an african-american woman for lieutenant governor a hispanic american man for attorney general and a very successful businessman a white guy for a governor some pretty good diversity right there. All three got woman, man, black, uh, Hispanic, white, all of it. Okay. Here's what the Democrats did. Terry McAuliffe, a 60 something white guy, not even from Virginia, but who's had made lots of money on the racket. He was a Bill Clinton guy. He's a money uh, fundraiser for Bill Clinton. He's a multimillionaire now because he raised money for Bill Clinton. And then they nominated the attorney general as a white man, the incumbent attorney general who apologized last year for wearing blackface when he was in school at UVA. Well, there you go. So white guy who wore blackface. So supposed to be bad. And then a white woman. So at least I got a woman. The top of the ticket is Lily White, not diverse, 
And the former governor of Virginia, Governor uh, Wilder, who was the first African-American, I think, governor in, in any state of the of the um, of union. It's I'll have to check on that. But one of the early ones in the 80s and early 90s, I believe, he wrote a piece right away and said, what the heck's going on here? M- my Democratic Party, which used to be trailblazing, isn't doing very well. Think about it. Talk about racist. The Democrats have to put up a 79 year old uh, uh, senator, a white guy. They can't put up any diversity. They had plenty of diversity in their primary. And now for governor in Virginia, the candidate is a white guy, an insider swamp creature. You tell me which party is racist. You tell me which party relies on the votes of the people that they actually treat worse than the other side. It's ridiculous. It does set up, it looks like, in Virginia, an opportunity for uh, people to really see the difference in the parties, and we'll see what happens. So there you have that. That's an interesting one there. All right. we got to run, everybody. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah and uh, putting all this together, and Joanna for booking our guests, and you for listening. We will be back tomorrow, of course. We've got a lot more, and uh, we'll revisit this topic of the Democrat Party, which is racist, at least in Virginia, and looks like in the White House. I'll talk to you then. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.